Hello and you are very welcome back to Shattered Lives. I'm Kieran Bradley. Week 11 of the murder trial of Jerry the Monk Hutch is well underway in Dublin's Special Criminal Court. Mr Hutch is accused of the murder of David Byrne at the Regency Hotel in February 2016. It is a charge that he denies. Being tried alongside Mr Hutch are two men, Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy. The state alleges that Messrs Murphy and Bonney provided vehicles for the Regency murder. Both men deny the charges against them. To bring us up to date with the goings-on is our man in court, Chief Reporter for the Irish Daily Star, Paul Healy. Paul, how are you keeping? I'm not too bad. Excellent. How's it going? Not too bad, thank you. So we're now at day three of week 11 uh, of the uh, murder trial of Jerry the Monk Hutch. Uh, what did we learn today? Yeah, so there was a bit of tidying up today. Um, that's what it was referred to uh, by Miss Justice Tara Burns yesterday. Um, but today was the longest day of the week. We actually went on after lunch uh, because there was quite a bit of tidying up to do. Um, but rather than labouring on about too much of it, I'll talk about, again, what's of interest to us. Um, something in the morning that, that I thought was interesting, we heard from a witness named Paul Brady. Uh, so Paul Brady's a taxi man. He was involved in the industry for over 15 years. Um, and he is the man who rented the plate to Paul Murphy, who's one of the men on trial. Um, so the, he rented the plate to Paul Murphy for his 07 uh, D Avensis, which... You know, we know Paul Murphy is alleged to have used his vehicle uh, to help the hit team escape, help members of the hit team escape uh, following the Regency shooting, something he denies. Um, so really, what Paul Brady was there just to confirm details of, you know, uh, he cooperated with the Guard investigation and handed over a copy of Paul Murphy's license um, and but but what was of interest to me was he was asked by Bernard Condon, who is the defending senior counsel for Paul Murphy, um, whether he was aware of something called cloning uh, in the industry. And Paul Brady said that he that he was aware of it. It was very much something that's well known about within the industry. And he himself had had his own taxi cloned two or three times, he said. Um, and describing that kind of process is where somebody gets a vehicle, the exact same make, model, red, uh, changes the registration and effectively clones the taxi plate and the registration and acts and pretends to be a, a, another, a taxi, uh, effectively. And it's something that's apparently rampant in the industry that's well known about. And he was he was just asked to confirm his deta- his knowledge of that, which he did. Uh, you may recall several weeks ago, like towards the start of this trial, um, that the guardie giving evidence about their interviews with Paul Murphy, that Paul Murphy actually told the guards that he feared that his own taxi may have been cloned. Uh, that's so, you know, that is forms part of his defense in that he thinks it's possible or has proclaimed at least that it's possible that his taxi may have been cloned. Um, you know, so that's very interesting uh, that that this witness was asked to confirm his own knowledge of this within the taxi industry. I've, I must admit, I, I have not really heard about this uh, in in any way really before. But apparently, it's something that that can happen and has happened quite often um, within within Dublin. So I thought that was just an interesting tidbit today. Mm. And then uh, moving on from that, um, we. Uh, we knew that we were going to get uh, guard of witnesses recalled today by Brendan Gretton, um, defendant for Hutch. And he, he recalled a uh, detective guard, uh, Cahill Connolly, 
um, to just speak to him in relation to the interviews that were had with Jonathan Dowdall last year in 2022. In these interviews, we know, we've already heard in great detail how Dowdall alleged um, about this meeting in the park in Whitehall with Jerry Hutch where the confession happened. And uh, what was of interest uh, to Brendan Grehan, basically he was trying to drill down on uh, when exactly did Dowdall tell you this meeting happened? And without going through it in painstaking detail again, I've just been typing it up. But effectively in three three different interviews, so across uh, May, July and September of 2022, uh, according to Garda Connolly's notes, and he confirmed them in court, uh, that Dowdall told them that this meeting with Hutch happened on the 8th of February three days after the Regency shooting and the same day that Eddie Hutch was murdered. Um, so he says that he met Hutch between 11 and midday. And then later that day, he got the phone call from Kay Hutch, uh, the wife of Patsy Hutch, informing him that Eddie Hutch had been shot dead. Um, you, If you cast your mind back to Christmas time when Jonathan Dowdall was on the stand, uh, Brandon Graham had said to him, you know, this should be something that's clear in your mind. Uh, the phone analysis records show that he was in the Navan Road area. He was nowhere near, his phone was nowhere near the Whitehall area between 11 and 12 midday on the 8th of February. And then Dowdall said something to the effect of, well, then it wasn't the 8th, was it? And Brendan Graham said to him, well, you had repeatedly, the record shows, told Gardy that this meeting with Jerry Hutch, where he confessed to you, was on the 8th, the same day that Eddie Hutch was murdered. That should be something that's clear in your mind. And so he was basically proofing that uh, theory, um, that that those facts, sorry, that Gardy had been told by Jonathan Dowdall that it was the 8th of February. Now, just towards the end of that, uh, prosecuting counsel Sean Galan uh, asked the, 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 the senior guard in relation to a 42-page document that Dowdall furnished, and that was around July. And in that, or in some capacity there, Dowdall said the sentence, I'm not sure what day it was. Uh, but he was able to say, look, it was after the Sunday World report came out because uh, Jerry Hutch, he said, had asked, had called him and was worried about this newspaper report in the Sunday World, this photograph of the man in drag and flat cap Kevin Murray on the front page of the paper. So he's he was like, look, it definitely happened when that was published, after that was published, but I don't know exactly what day it was. Uh, I think it was important that that was stated on the record as well, because that is another juncture apart from just before Christmas on the witness stand where Jonathan Dowdall cast doubt on the exact date when this meeting in the park happened. But he, there is a record of him stating on three different interviews that it was the 8th of February. So, I mean, that's obviously a huge part of Jerry Hutch's defence and Brendan Grehan's argument, I suppose, that Jonathan Dowdall seemed pretty crystal clear um, on multiple occasions that this happened between 11 and midday on the 8th of February, yet this phone analysis record, which he acknowledged himself on the stand, shows that he was nowhere near that area at that date and on that time. So that's what's hugely significant, and we spent a good bit of time on that today. We'll probably spend more time on it again tomorrow when we hear from Sarah Sked, the, the actual phone analysis expert, and she'll talk about 
uh, all of that tri- the triangulation of the cell site analysis showing where Jonathan Dowdall's phone was on these key dates and times. Um, so yeah, all of that is very interesting, but uh, you know, it, it's repeated territory, but it was important, I think, from Brendan Gretton's standpoint and from Jerry Hutch's defense standpoint to have the Garda state on the record today um, that, that there were three occasions, three different interviews in which, according to his note, jo- Jonathan Dowdall told them uh, that it was the 8th. And uh, just, uh, I remember there was some question, I suppose, over recording of interviews with uh, Dowdle to begin with. And yeah. you mentioned that the guard is referring to his notes there. I presume there's no audio transcript of those interviews. Is that correct? There's no audio transcript. Uh, there's no um, video recording. He just took um, notes um, and then also uh, typed up a kind of a memo in an email format as well. Um, that that is how the meeting was those meetings were recorded okay and uh was there anything else today that was of particular interest or are we kind of just really holding uh holding on until sarah scad appears tomorrow to me there's a lot of repeated territory those were the two things i found the most interesting today uh yeah look um we're holding you're right we're holding on now for sarah scad's evidence uh she will be the last looks to be the last witness for the prosecution um, and that'll be it. Tomorrow, uh, we will be finished in terms of any further witnesses uh, in this case, this which has gone on now for 11 weeks. How are you feeling about that? <laughs> How am I feeling about it? Uh, yeah, well, like, just I'm interested. You've, you know, you've been immersed in it for I, 11 I'm weeks. I'm a bit of a nerd with this. I kind of, I love the whole process of it and I find it really fascinating. So like, yeah, look, we're coming to the end of... Uh, of of that process now um uh, but you know it'll be interesting to hear the closing arguments and um that that's an, that'll probably go on for another couple of days um but it just shows you again that we were talking about the scope of the investigation and uh, you can really see like you know to, to every level of detail from the phone cell site analysis the maps um every unit of Angarnashia Ghana involved. The amount of witnesses in this case is unbelievable. Uh whatever your thought process is on whether you personally believe that Jerry Hutch is innocent or guilty, uh you can't deny the size, the scope of the investigation, this case. The uh, it, it's just enormous. Uh so I found that very, very interesting. Yeah, and it certainly struck me um, when I was in court as well, and it always has whenever you're in court in front of a barrister and a legal team, that things will occur to the the the, uh, the viewer or, or the listener and, uh, at various times, but you can you can be assured that they will have gone through all eventualities in their mind and they will have cherry-picked the exact lines of attack and defence. Okay, well, Paul, unless there's anything in particular you want to add uh, to today, we, we sort of established a bit of a format yesterday where we will pull a few questions from our learned listenership uh so yeah i'll fire away with a couple of those uh so paul there was mention of an alibi for one of the accused has it been addressed yet uh, i haven't heard mention of it since it was first mentioned i believe this was in relation to either paul murphy or jason bonnie i can't recall yeah it's jason bonnie and it was mentioned again today briefly uh in that um Look, at the 11th hour, uh, at the beginning of this trial, uh, the court was notified that uh, Mr. Bonney had uh, alibi witnesses that he wished to call. And basically, um, we've come to the point now where that may be dealt with uh, in the coming days. 
and the prosecution <clears throat> basically had to be brought up to speed in relation to that uh and you know they've they've got to process uh potentially what these witnesses may say how that affects their case so i think there's a bit of background uh channel uh, discussions happening between both sides uh, and it was indicated that they didn't really want to create an issue before the court unless they had to um, but you know look there's disclosure in relation to that obviously and then uh, we may hear from these witnesses or we, I, I think there's two witnesses in relation to Jason Bonney uh, to discuss uh, potentially his whereabouts on the 5th of February 2016 we know that he claims that he was uh, on a building site at the time and that he heard about it on the radio uh, now supposedly there is at least one if not two individuals who are willing to take the stand and to uh, to act as an alibi uh, for Mr Bonnie so we've yet to hear from them um, but it, it was flagged today that uh, the two sides are talking kind of behind the scenes in relation to how to handle this evidence um, so I imagine that'll be brought up by Mr Bonnie's defence uh, following the the closure of all the witnesses from the prosecution tomorrow. Okay, and actually, just a question for me off the back of that: the the, the delivery of the verdicts uh, do they all have to come at the same time, or for example, if they decide, uh, sorry, the three judges decide around Paul Murphy and Jason Bonney prior to that, can they deliver that and then sort of say that they'll rule on Jerry Hutch at a later date, or do you have a do you have any idea? I think that's unlikely. I think it's all yeah. be, as as it's three trials within one. It really is. It, it is all going to come back as one judgment, which is why I think this is going to take a bit of time. Um, I think in when we refer to the case of Freddie Thompson, I think it took about two months. It'll probably take longer. Now I could be wrong. I mean, these judges are very learned, and and uh, you know they have all of the evidence before them and the transcripts and everything is there before them. But just as I said, we've already talked about the length and breadth of this case being so long. Um, I think they'll take their time with it. But no, it, I, I anticipate it'll come back as one judgment in relation to, to all three. Okay, we'll see. That's why we refer to the listeners' questions rather than mine, because mine are rubbish. <laughs> uh, Not at all. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, another, and I should say that all of these are coming in via DM on Twitter, so we're not, uh, we're not giving out people's names, just in case they want to stay anonymous. Um, this says, surely Dowdle would remember something so important as the right day if he was given a confession. Obviously, this is in relation to the phone call that we discussed earlier. I also see that Brendan Graham continues to attack his evidence. Do you think they see it as the key for getting Jerry a not guilty verdict? So there's a bit of a two-parter there for you. What's the, the start of that question again? Uh, surely Dowdle would remember something so important as the right day if he was given a confession. So it's kind of a more of a, a, a comment, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, um, that was something he has been directly challenged on. Like, surely, I believe the sentence was something to that effect. Like, this, surely this would be an important day in your life in that it was the same day where uh, he got a phone call about Eddie Hutch being murdered. Uh, surely that's something that would be clear in your mind, I think Brendan Graham said to him. And that's an interesting observation. Um, it's important to note that Dowdall says that he wasn't really in the right headspace around this period of time. And... You know, he says that it was many years ago, so it is possible that he maybe had it out by a day or two. Um, yeah. It'll be up to the judges. Like it's, we keep saying that, but it will be up to the judges to determine whether they believe Mr. Dowdall or not. Uh, it's not for me to say, um, but but he has already been challenged on that. What's the second part of that question? Yeah, um, the second part we have uh, is, I also see Brendan Graham continues to attack Dowdle's evidence. Do you think they see this as the key to getting Jerry a not guilty verdict? 
I would say almost certainly, yeah. I mean, they have continually poked holes in his evidence every second that he was on the stand. He was challenged on being a liar, uh, a proven liar, even stated that he was a liar in, in regards to a lot of the things that he said. That is, I mean, we've yet to hear Mr. Grehan's closing argument, but I am sure that a lot of it leans on uh, the reliability of Jonathan Dowdall <clears throat> and his testimony and showing that perhaps some of the technical evidence does not match up also with the claims being made by Jonathan Dowdall. And he has said repeatedly that it is Jonathan Dowdall's say-so, and that's all we have in regards to a huge chunk of this case. So yeah, that is almost certainly something they are leaning on in terms of Jerry Hush's defence and hoping for a not guilty verdict. That is, that without a doubt, Jonathan Dowdall is a, a huge factor for them. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's another one here saying, why was there a European arrest warrant issued for Jerry Hutch? Uh, there was a European arrest warrant issued for Jerry Hutch because he was not in the jurisdiction. Uh, it's as simple as that. The, no, I, if I understand your question correctly, look, I mean, the, this was a huge guard investigation that went on for many years and they suspected the involvement of Jerry Hutch uh, quite clearly and they would have presented their evidence to the Director of Public Prosecutions. Obviously, the the, the Director decided that there was enough there uh, to charge Jerry Hutch. So because Jerry Hutch was not living in Ireland, he was outside of the jurisdiction living in Spain, uh, well, he was moving about quite a bit, actually, Um effectively they they you know that that is how the law works you in order to get somebody back against their will um you know you have to you'll you'll have to issue a european arrest warrant now a european arrest warrant really can only be issued in the case where they're going to charge a person with an offense i think this might answer a couple of questions because people wonder you know, and we brought it up before, why wasn't Jerry Hutch asked very key questions about his movements on that day and interviewed? Well, the reason why is because they could only bring him back to this country for the purpose of charge. That's how the the European arrest warrant works. Uh, so once they issue that arrest warrant, they, ha they have already got the approval to say so from the DPP to charge Jerry Hutch. I think Mick in O'Toole, um, our crime correspondent, actually broke that story that the DPP directed that Jerry Hutch be charged in relation to the Regency. But then there was, I think, a couple of months gap uh, because uh, they went looking for Jerry and he had skipped town, so to speak, uh, or rather he had moved on. I'm not suggesting any uh, impropriety by Mr. Hutch here. It's just that when they went looking for him in the location where they believed he was, he was no longer there. And it took them uh, a period of time to locate him again. And when they did locate him again in the Fungarola area of Spain, uh, he was then arrested by the by the Spanish police in tandem with the Gardaí. And uh, he, he fought that uh, in the courts there and eventually uh, was extradited back here, flown into Baldonnel uh, in September 2021 and charged with the murder. So that's how that process works. Um, 
Does that answer that question? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it does. No, you don't. It does. Uh, sorry, I was just thinking there. My mind wandered slightly, uh, as good as your answer was. Was I boring you? One of my... F- <laughs> just a touch it's been 11 <laughs> weeks man what do you expect um no we're uh one of my favorite programs is 24 hours in police custody uh which is amazing watch if you haven't seen it but uh also there are instances where somebody is in custody and then they are subsequently re-arrested for uh a crime that only come to light later in is that something that yeah, you know, I presume that that's able to be done with regard to Jerry Hutch or indeed any other criminal, say, for example, who's brought in. That's happened. Yeah. That's happened with Jerry Hutch. He, well, he was arrested while in custody in relation to an offence he's still under investigation for, which is directing a, a criminal gang. Um, so, he can, so he he can be questioned in relation to that because he's not being charged. But that's one of the key things about this and that they, they didn't have an opportunity to really interview Jerry Hutch because by the time they had him back in this country, they'd already charged him with murder. And he then has the right to basically remain silent, not say anything. He's been charged with murder. Um, so, I mean, he was charged the second he got off the plane. That's how that process works. Uh, has the drama around the evidence of Jonathan Dowdle been a, been a help or a hindrance in Hutch's defence, do you think? I uh, just to say to people when they ask us these questions, we we can't really give a commentary in terms of our opinion uh, as to maybe that might suggest that we that we have an opinion about the guilt or the innocence of the person on trial. Um, look, uh, certainly as we've already said, the evidence of Jonathan Dowdall is clearly of huge interest to the defence. Uh, the things that he have said has said they challenged him on the witness stand for. Uh, seven days uh, the prosecution only needed Jonathan Dowdall for really half a day to confirm certain elements uh, the three yokes being the three AK-47 rifles and the Buckingham Village references in the tapes those are the things that they really needed Dowdall for the prosecution um, whereas when it comes to the defence they spent an awful lot of time with him so you can glean from that that from their perspective they think he is a help to their case not a hindrance does that answer that it certainly does and i'll tell you what you've got a career in politics after that uh, so we had a, a few questions along these lines and i think these have probably popped up into people's minds over the last couple of days um why hasn't jerry hutch's phone been used as evidence for example can't they see if his phone pinged in whitehall that day as well to back up Dowdle or to vindicate Hutch one way or another? Yeah, it's a very good question. And a couple of people have asked us that question or a variation of it. Uh, the answer is, it seems that from the evidence before the court, there appears to be nothing about a phone belonging to Jerry Hutch or associated with Jerry Hutch. Remember, you know, we really, when we report on this trial, we're only reporting on what's before the court. There's, there's no or there has been no mention to date, and I don't expect there to be at this juncture in the trial any mention of a phone in connection with Jerry Hutch. You can read into that whatever way you want from that point onwards. You can say that they didn't look at it. Maybe they did look at it. We don't know. Uh, clearly, the guard investigation into this was huge, as we've mentioned. Uh, but uh, there was a huge period of time before they ultimately charged Jerry Hutch. And as I mentioned, uh, he was out of the jurisdiction. and He was out of this jurisdiction for many years. Um, so perhaps when it came to the procurement of evidence in relation to a mobile phone, well, there wasn't one available or he wasn't available. I mean, you could only speculate, really. Um, I remember there was a, there were reports at the time back in 2016 when this all kicked off uh, that there were searches done across Dublin in relation to properties um, 
uh, connected to this investigation and that the home of Jerry Hutch in Clontarf was searched as part of that investigation. Uh, we don't know what was gleaned from that. All I can tell you is that it seems that there is no evidence before this trial in relation to anything to do with a phone connected to Jerry Hutch. Um, and, and why that is, I don't know. Obviously, uh, it doesn't form the part of the case, whether the guards felt they didn't need particular evidence that they might have had or whether there was no evidence. We we don't know. All I can tell you is that we're not going to be hearing, it doesn't seem, uh, about Jerry Hutch's phone pinging off masks or anything about a phone connected to Jerry Hutch. Um, as I said, we can only talk about the evidence before the court and it doesn't appear to be before the court. Fair enough. Very well answered once again. Uh, so I'm just going to go to a couple of uh, named accounts. I feel very out of order not not putting a <laughs> seemingly taking credit for uh, for our listeners' questions here. Um, so there is one from an account called Why Why Is It Always Me? LOL. That's the name of the account rather than me just passing comment. Was Jerry even in the country at the time of the shooting? Uh, this is another kind of speculative question. I can only really talk about the evidence before the court. We've not heard any evidence in relation to uh, specific evidence as to where he was. Clearly, the Gardaí believe, believed that Jerry Hutch was in the country uh, because he is charged with murder and the case is that he was involved, that he was, quote, one of the team involved in the Regency Hotel uh, shooting that day. Um, and then the allegation from Dowdall is that, uh, that, that Hutch told him he was the shooter. He was there with Mago Gately in the Regency Hotel. There's also a portion on the tapes, if I recall, uh, where Jerry Hutch expressed concern about CCTV footage uh, from his home on the 5th of February, the day of the murder, uh, and that that footage had been wiped. Uh, but he was concerned that a neighbour possibly had footage that, that might be of concern to him. That might indicate that maybe Jerry Hutch uh, was in the country, or, but but all I'm saying to you is that there, the evidence before the court is that the state alleges that he was in the Regency that day, that he was involved. Um, and it's up to the judges, again, keep repeating that, but it is up to them to decide whether they adopt that and believe that to be the case. Um, we can only talk about what's before the court. I can't state that enough. So when it comes to other speculation or any other... Um, person who might be able to say where or he was uh, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna discuss that it's all i can tell you is what's said before the court um good question though no no it's fair enough uh, and i think look, we're, we're so used to kind of online speculation throughout this case that it's, it's difficult at times to keep the lines yeah. from blurring like we answer these questions where we can like uh, maybe they won't be the most satisfying as i say it's still a trial and we have to be you know cautious and careful not to speculate about certain things like people keep asking me whether they think he's guilty or innocent like i can't answer that question and it's it's not it's not up to me uh to uh to uh make to make a opinion give an opinion on that You're dead right dead right okay uh just one last one uh from an account on twitter called at the port daniel um, we have one here that says if Patrick Hutch was given a null prosequi because lead investigator Colin Fox died and couldn't give evidence, why not the same for Gerard and the other two since this case is lead investigator Detective Superintendent Paul Scott has retired and didn't give evidence? What are your thoughts on that? 
Uh, well, Paul Scott did give evidence before the court. Uh, I have a report here. He was cross-examined. Uh, he, he was speaking to Brendan Gretton um, about getting a phone call on the 22nd uh, of November 2021 from a solicitor representing Jonathan Dowdall, uh, indicating that he wanted to speak to the cops. And he was speaking to the Gardaí, uh, speaking to the court in relation to that. So uh, my understanding is, uh, memory is that he was actually uh, giving evidence before the court. Uh, when it comes to the Patrick Hutch case, um, with respect to, to Colin Fox's family, uh, he lost his life in a terrible tragedy. And I won't elaborate further than that, other than to say that Colin Fox, in relation to the case, was the lead investigator. And a huge part of the case against Patrick Hutch, from my recollection, was that a number of Gardaí I think it was only two, though, uh, had identified him in a photograph from the Sunday World newspaper that we've been talking about um, uh, the, the, as being the man in drag, that the man in drag and Patrick Hutch were one and the same, and that that investigation was led by Colin Fox. Um, and, and so that is the connection there, because he would have stood over uh, um, and oversaw that investigation, that specific part in in terms of the identification of Patrick Hutch. So when you haven't got your lead investigator there to give evidence in relation to the identification of Patrick Hutch, well, that's the whole case. That was the whole case against Mr. Hutch. And so that is why that trial collapsed. But they don't need, um, with respect again to Colin Fox and uh, the late Colin Fox and his family, they don't seem to need any of his evidence in relation to this particular case so it is different in that regard to the trial of Patrick Hutch um, and remember a null prosecute doesn't mean uh, that the person can never be tried again it's important to state that I'm not suggesting that that will happen here might might not happen here um, but uh, just to state that as well yeah it's where they're, where they're repeating okay Paul well listen thanks again for that um, I would say to all the listeners thank you first of all for your questions and please continue to send them in do bear in mind of course that there are things that you know we can't really put out on a podcast we can't ask uh, or, or have answered on a podcast that in the same way that we might you know one might speculate down the pub or whatever so just bear that in mind too but in the meantime paul thanks very much for everything um we'll be back with you tomorrow and take care in the meantime thank you